Hello everyone, welcome to a new year, new beginnings and a new season of Lifting the Lid. Today it's a really special one. I'm so excited to be speaking with Spin Doctor's lead singer and co-founder Chris Barron. The American rock band sold millions of records, including the hits Two Princes and Little Miss Can't Be Wrong, have toured with the Rolling Stones and played at the likes of Glastonbury and Woodstock, graced Rolling Stone magazine's cover, have been on Saturday Night Live. The achievements just keep going on. The band is still active, releasing music and touring internationally, and Chris is also a solo act with a new album coming soon. There's some really great stories in this one, so sit back, relax and enjoy. Chris Barron, thank you so much for joining me on Lifting the Lid. I'm so excited to talk to you. Well, it's my pleasure. The pleasure's all mine. So you're in New York at the moment, right? I am. Yeah, uh, New York City, the island of Manhattan. Beautiful. Where, like, what sort of, where's your kind of favorite part of New York? Uh, you know, I, I've always wanted to, I just, I love this whole town. I mean, I've always wanted to live here since I was a little kid. When I was a little kid, I had an uncle who lived in Chicago. And um, food is a really big deal in my family. Uh, we're all foodies. And so I had an uncle who lived in Chicago and he couldn't get really good pickles in Chicago, the pickles that he liked. So there's a place in New York City on Hester Street called Gus's Pickles and it's like 100 years old. And um, we were up in in, uh, in Chappaqua, which is like in, in the county north of New York City. So we would drive into New York um, at Thanksgiving when he would come to visit from Chicago, we would drive into New York just to get pickles for him. So we would be driving down um, the FDR Drive and, you know, along the East River, and you'd be looking into Manhattan and up in Harlem, there were like, you know, black kids playing basketball. Then we get to the Lower East Side and we would go like buy pickles and like, you'd be in this like Jewish neighborhood you know, where it was all like Hasids and stuff like that. And all the signs were in Hebrew. And then we would go over to Chinatown. You know, it was like all Chinese people speaking Chinese with signs in Chinese. And like, I just thought it was the coolest thing. And um, I remember being a little kid and just like we went to a dim sum place, you know, like those noodles. And these um, shrimp dumplings like ended up at our table. And my dad was like, here, try one of these. And I was like, what is it? And he's like, what do you care? It's shrimp. And I was like, what shrimp? And he's like, what do you care? And he put some soy sauce on it. And just like, I stuck a chopstick into it and put it in my mouth. And it was like shrimp, you know, like, <laughs> you know, and the, and the, and the, and the, and the, like the, that rice, like dumpling coating and the shrimp and the soy sauce. Just like, yeah. it was the best thing I'd ever eaten in my life. I was like seven years old. And, um, oh, that's I just remember, first of all, it was like, okay, food is an adventure and New York is like the coolest place on earth. So, you know, to answer your question, I, I, I live in this like kind of, you know, two bedroom apartment in New York that, that I, that I bought at the end of the 20th century. And, you know, we just kind of, it's me and my wife, my daughter's at home now. So I love my little neighborhood and, you know, I've been here for like 20 years. So I know all the people in my neighborhood. I, I not, you know, I, I, it's smiling, waving, saying hello, kind of know them. I know all the people in my building and, you know, it's um, uh, it's a great place to live. Okay, so 
As lead singer in Spin Doctors, you've sold millions of records and played headline tours to thousands around the world. And even now in lockdown, you've been entertaining fans with your Thirsty Thursday streams, haven't you? Um, how has the pandemic actually been for you? Like, ha- has there been like a kind of key lesson or, you know, have you learned something positive that you've been able to take from the whole situation? That's such a good question. I- I- I've been, it's actually, the big takeaway for me has been how really fortunate I am to tell the truth, you know, like I, um, I've, there've been all of the, like all of the, the, the sadness. I haven't, I haven't personally, uh, lost anybody, but definitely some friends of friends, you know, had to console people who lost people. And, um, um, the United States is chaos right now. You know, there's no unified, approach to how to deal with it. I'm, I'm sure this isn't news to your listeners, but the, the overall craziness of it has been a drag, but I own, you know, I own this apartment. I, um, yeah, I'm like out of work pretty much. And, um, but I'm able to kind of skate by, you know, because, because I got lucky with a couple tunes back in the, <laughs> back in the late 20th century. <laughs> so that's been, that's been okay. And I've actually, um, you know, everybody's people are baking like bread and stuff like that. Like my thing has just been um, I've been kind of diving into my guitar playing. A lot of people don't know that I play guitar. Um, you know, that's like uh, most people just know me as the singer of the Spin Doctors. But I do, as you said, do like a solo acoustic thing. And yeah. I've been fascinated by the guitar. I wrote I wrote all the lyrics of the Spin Doctor stuff and I wrote a lot of the the music, too. Not without a lot of help from the spin doctors. You know, it's a very collaborative process. But, you know, I'm in on kind of the the composition of the music and stuff. So I've gotten really into guitar. And I I just like, um, well, I mean, I've always been really into guitar. But I've been diving into like ragtime and blues finger picking. And um, I just found this old blues guy that I never knew about named Bo Carter. I discovered him like two weeks ago. So I've just been like obsessing on him. I don't know if you have like guitar players who listen to your podcast, but there's this great app called the Amazing Slowdowner. And what it does is it it like, it, it slows down a recording without changing the pitch of it. So like I've been like taking these Bo Carter songs and like slowing them down and like <laughs> listening to every note and being like, oh, he must be doing that with his thumb. Like just nerding out that is so, so cool. Really and, you cool. know, I've realized how, how unnecessary pants are. I mean, trousers. <laughs> trousers. Pants. I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> I, you got to be careful. You know, we, we speak a different kind of English than you guys do. Yeah, I think um, definitely the enjoyment of wearing, like, comfy clothes all day, every day for the best part of a year. Um, I work from home anyway, so that's basically been the story of my life for the last four years. Um, but now I actually have an excuse to do it, as opposed to, obviously. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I, it's, it's funny because, so, yeah. actually, there's, like, the way my year works is during the summer... The Spin Doctors are still together. It's the original guys. And um, we, Love that. we work like crazy all summer long. But what we do is, it's funny because people will, we have a number, you know, like you just pay us what we get and we'll come and do the show. Um, provided it's not like a Nazi convention or something like that. You know, like we, you know, mm-hmm. we, we uh, so people are always like, oh, um, 
in my town, there's this carnation growing iris convention. It's so nice. There's irises everywhere. And, um, and like the, all the craft beer companies come out and there's, you know, really good fried chicken lady. And I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't care. <laughs> just call my booking agent. If you have the money, we'll just go. So the thing is we just go, we just go where they pay us. Yeah. So what ends up happening is we don't have like a tour. We're flying everywhere. Right. So mm-hmm. like, We'll have a gig in on the West Coast in California and then a gig in like Alabama, completely on the other side of the country, and then a gig in Montreal, like up in Canada. Like we it's insane. I end up like I end up flying like, you know, a hundred and fifty, two hundred thousand miles during the course of the year. Um That's crazy. Yeah. So that's that's like for me that's like March to November you know, March picking up, November trailing off. So, and then from like November until March, I have kind of a down period, you know, where I'll go out Mm -hmm. and I'll do some solos, a couple solo runs and stuff like that. But so this has been, it's not like, it's not that crazy because I do have like a couple months a year where, you know, I just, I have like this kind of downtime. I'm either like working my brains out, flying everywhere constantly or like doing nothing. So like the beginning of the, the beginning of the pandemic was sort of like, okay, well this is kind of like what it's like normally, but, but you know, you couldn't eat in a restaurant, you couldn't go to the movies, you couldn't like, you know, go and do a lot of normal shit. So that was a little, yeah, a little crazy. Okay. So I really want to go back to how you start out in music. Um, cause you were on track to have a very different career to obviously what you ended up in. Can you tell us about the switch in direction? I t- tried not to become a musician, kind of. I, I, um, I grew up in a town, you know, in kind of a posh town in, on the East coast of, of the United States with a, a famous university um, what we call an Ivy League university, this little town called Princeton. And so everybody was very upwardly mobile. And, um, you know, the idea of becoming a a rock and roll musician in my town was sort of ridiculous. And people were always like, you know, they were like, do you know the chances of your becoming a rock and roll musician are like one in a million? And I'd be like, no your chances are one in a million. <laughs> mine are like, ben. mine are like one in 125,000, you know, which I'll take those odds. But I really was like, you know, I, I just said that to wind people up. For the most part, I was like, um, I tried to become a cook. I tried like a chef. I tried to become, I, I was super into pottery. I was, you know, pretty good at pottery and I was going to maybe live in the like the wilds of the northeast in like Vermont and just be a potter and you know maybe play some guitar but I um if you just keep doing something like it turns out that's what your life kind of maybe turns into you know so I, I I was always like waking up in the middle of the night and like writing tunes and just playing guitar and just always picking up a guitar and writing songs and Eventually, um, I had some friends who were in a band called um, Blues Traveler who have sold, you know, several million albums here. They're, they're, they're not too well known in, um, in the UK. Um, but I went to high school with those guys and they came and stayed with me 
uh, like one night we just hung out and drank a couple cases of beer and I was playing them. Like I'd written two princes and I'd written Jimmy Olsen's blues, which both ended up on the first record of the spin doctors. And they were like, man, you, you've got to move to New York city. And they were about to get a, an apartment. They were like, we might as well get an apartment for, you know, five guys as for four guys. And it'll, you know, be, it'll make our rent a little bit cheaper. You should just move in with us. They're like, you're not in the band. You're not in the band. I was like, okay, okay, cool. Just make it really clear yeah. you aren't in the yeah. band. <laughs> You're not in the band. You can, you can like, open up for us and, like, you know, support us and, and play in between our sets. But, you know, you, you're on your own band-wise. So I moved to the city, and um, I met Eric Shankman, the guitar player of Spin Doctors um, in New York. And um, he and I immediately had this amazing musical rapport um, but we almost got in a fist fight the, like the second or third time we met. And so we didn't talk for a while, but then I ran into him and, and he was, you know, like, Hey man, I'm sorry about that bullshit. The last time I saw you and he put his hand out to shake my hand. And I was raised like somebody goes to shake your hand. You got to shake their hand. And he invited me to hang out and jam in, um, in this little room at the conservatory that we were going to. And, um, we found, uh, Aaron, um, Eric heard Aaron like practicing in a practice room and was just like, hey man, you want to be in our band? And then we went through a bunch of bass players and finally found Mark White. By the time Mark was in the band, we were already playing every night in New York City. We And it was like old school, you know, there's no internet. It was just like walking around with these, we, I would go to a, a, you know, a copy shop, like a photocopy shop and photocopy all these like hand flyers. And I would just walk around the city handing out these flyers to people and you'd go down and hang out near like NYU, you know, the university, New York university and hand out flyers to, to people your age, you know, young people. And, um, and, uh, you know, before we knew it, we were, we were just playing every night in New York city. And, and I remember like doing a gig at this, man, I can't remember the name of this place, but it was, it was a random place. We'd never played there before. It was a Tuesday night. And my thing back then like going to the gig was always like obsessing like is anybody going to be there because we did tons of gigs with like 12 people there or only our only our girlfriends there you know and um i'm like oh god it's tuesday we never played here it's a basement basements suck you play in a basement it's like nobody ever shows up for music in a basement for some reason and i got there and the gig wasn't for like another hour or something and there were already like tons and tons of people and I was like, oh man, we have a draw. I guess we have a draw now. So that's so cool. So that was it. You know, we just kept kept playing and we're still keeping playing. How did you guys kind of get, you know, from that point to kind of getting your big break and like the, you know, getting signed to Epic and stuff? What was kind of, do you think there was like a really defining moment? Obviously that gig was really special when you suddenly kind of realized, oh, actually we've got, we've got a real following here. But kind of yeah. what was that? In the, in thing the, that like, took you over the hurdle in the mythology of like rock and roll there's this idea of the big break and um and it's it makes for really concise storytelling but you know if you have any you know young musicians or artists of any kind or anybody who's like pursuing anything the the more you the more you look at it like a process the better off you're going to be and we had like an insane work ethic. We were just willing to do all of the the little, all the little things, you know, like going and making hand flyers and passing them out. And so, I mean, there were a couple of, you know, exit ramps, you know, 
on the highway that were like a big deal. Yeah. But mostly what we did was work our fucking asses off, you know, and just playing every night and getting as many gigs as we could and um, um, working really hard on the music, um, you know, having, uh, I think one of the defining features of the Spin Doctors is we've got really good songs. Like we just don't have clunker songs. I had this really funny epiphany recently about songwriting. It's like songwriting is more about um, not writing bad songs than it is about setting out to write good songs. You know, like like in a sporting event when they're like, they talk about like in tennis, you know, unforced errors. Yeah. You know, like you, you're writing a song and you just, it, you don't want to put like that stupid cheesy clam kind of thing in there that makes people roll their eyes or pops people out of the song. So, you know, we, we, we had, um, we had some big moments. Like, you know, we, we got on, um, Saturday Night Live and of course, you know, that appearance propelled us and, and, and Dave Letterman. I mean, that was really monumental, you know, these big, like monumental TV experiences, uh, appearances that kind of propelled us to the next level. But, you know, a lot of that was just the process of, I mean, a, a product of a process of just like sitting in a, sitting in a van yeah, and driving from like Birmingham to Knoxville, you know, before, before we had smartphones, you know, like sitting in a, sitting in a fucking van in the dark <laughs> with, with like, you know, guys that you're so oh sick of guys. You could like picture yourself like throttling, you know, <laughs> like, it's enjoyable to imagine like punching them in the face again and again and again. Oh Cause you're God. so sick of them. You don't know whether you want to punch them in the face or yourself in the face more, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's, it's really like, it's, I don't mean to um, sort of take your question apart, but it, it's no, no. Um, it's really yeah. I think that's really interesting, and it, it's so much more I think about really good concept. yeah. It's so much more about waking up and being like, Ugh, I'm gonna do all of the bullshit that I have to do today to have an hour and a half on stage. I'm gonna do the twenty two and a half hours of you know being in a van, sleeping in a hotel, missing people, being far away from my daughter, being far away from my wife, sleeping on the floor of a of a of an airport terminal. You know, there's a really great quote about this general from um like the Byzantine Empire. Um it's in Robert Graves uh book Count Belisarius and they're like asking these generals like what what's the perfect soldier and um these guys were like these should be gallant and brave and yeah and like they ask um this guy who grows up to be one of the greatest generals of all time he's like 10 and they're like well what do you think and he's like he needs to be able to drink rotten water without getting sick and that's kind of what it is it's like you know you you have to be just willing to um you got to love it enough to not quit <laughs> yeah 100% I, lo I really love that um that whole angle of like what you have to do for like 22 and a half hours so that you get that time on stage I think that hunger and that drive for something is just really special like that, yeah. that's what you need you need and is also really special I think really interesting to hear from somebody rather than it kind of being like oh you know we worked hard and then like this happened. It's like, actually, you know, like, yeah, it was difficult. There is that side where you're traveling and you're missing family and you're on the road and 
But I it's do want to add, I wanna add something. I do want to add mm-hmm. something though, because there's this other myth of like suffering for your art. You know, it's also a lot of fun, and yeah. and like I over the years I've learned to all that shit. I don't, it doesn't bother me. Like, I think, I think it also helps. Like I personally, and the guys in my band, like we're all dispositionally suited to that. So all that stuff, like I say that, and I think a lot of people would listen and be like, oh my God, that sounds like hell, but I don't mind it. I don't mind. I don't mind being in an airport. I bring a guitar and I sit in an airport and I just like practice guitar, you know? I like, yeah. I'm, I'm uniquely, if, if I miss, like, if I miss, I miss the connection going somewhere and I got stuck in Atlanta last year and, um, like it didn't phase me at all. Like I was like, that's cool. I've, I've always fly everywhere a night early, so I wasn't going to miss the gig. There was another connection the next morning. So mm-hmm. the, the airline put me up at the at the hotel at the airport. I went and I had a beer and fooled around on my phone, went upstairs, played some guitar, woke up the next morning and went to the gig. Like that kind of stuff doesn't phase me. I got yeah. stuck. Remember remember a couple years ago, like five years ago, there was a volcano in... Um, Iceland. In Iceland. I got stuck <laughs> at Tel Aviv Airport um, for 17 hours. And I didn't... Oh my God. I didn't have like a pass for the, um, for the lounge or anything at that point. I was... Um, um, now I'm like diamond on Delta like every year. So I get like, all right. you know, I got all the perks. <laughs> and, so like, and that's part of the whole thing too is like, you know, I, I, I go to great lengths to make everything. I know what's going to happen. I know the bullshit I'm going to face. So I'm willing to like get the credit card that gets me into the lounge and pay the extra money for the credit card because with the free food in the lounge over the course of the year, it pays off the fee for the expensive credit card. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like 500 bucks a year for this credit card. But over the course of the year, all the free food and free drinks are at least 500. You know, that kind of, that kind of shit. You just, you have to like take everything in stride. I know, oh, I got stuck in Tel Aviv airport for like 17 hours and it didn't phase me at all, you know, like I, because of my disposition and because like, yeah. I just know, I know a couple times a year, something like that is going to happen. I saw this, um, I saw the new, uh, preview of the Beatles movie that's coming back, coming out, get back the Peter Jackson Beatles oh, yeah. thing. And like, they're just screwing around like the whole time, you know, they're in the studio and they're like laughing and they're like playing with each other and, and, and then like playing music, but like having a really good time playing music. And, you know, we opened up for the stones. I toured with those guys. Those guys are like so silly. They're like Monty Python silly, you know? And I said to Keith Richards, I was like, you guys are having such a good time. And he was like, why else would you do it, man? And I was like, (laughs) I know that you're, I know your band is making $150 million for this tour. So maybe mm-hmm. you do it for the $150 million. I don't know. But like, I could tell in that moment, like, yeah, the money's great. But I could tell, like, he just wanted to grab Charlie Watts around his shoulders and be like, oh, you horrible little man. And like, you know, they're just like having a really good time doing it. And they've, and the, in doing that, they've, um, you know they 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 have made it work um you know incredibly yeah. to their advantage monetarily but i think deep down those guys are like you know 
they want to play music. They want to play Rolling Stones songs every night with each other. Can you tell us like a couple of funny moments from you guys being on tour? Is there anything? We, we have can, like stuff. You know, I mean, we you'll have, have like thousands of stories in the vault, obviously, but we have just dumb stuff that we do to pass time. That's really amusing. Like we, um, <laughs> we'll have like, um, we'll be like, okay, personal moment. And it'll be like, mostly we do it with, um, you know, like sound crew personnel that, that like we have, um, our guitar, our guitar tech stage manager is this guy, Matt Garbera. He's been with us forever. Um, but like, you know, sometimes we'll have sound guys like rolling through. We don't know them that well. And we'll be like, okay, personal moment with Steve. And then we just start asking him like super personal questions. <laughs> We're all like, <laughs> and then, and like, <laughs> it happens a lot of times in a van ride where like somebody is just driving the van. So it's just a random van driver. <clears throat> and he or she is like, what the hell is going on? And you can see them just being like, what the fuck? And, you know, they're just like listening in on this conversation. And you know that, you know, they think like you don't really clock that they're following the conversation. But we just start like asking like just crazy, crazy personal questions. Um, but like funny stories. One time our, our, our guitar player has mellowed out a lot, but he used to have like a really bad temper. One time. Um, we did a really big show and he went backstage and, um, took like a chair and like banged it against the wall. Like he was right. trying to break the chair and be all dramatic and it bounced off the wall and hit him in the head and knocked him out cold. <laughs> and we were like, Oh, oh my God. Man, oh, that's cold. so good. <laughs> um, yeah, I did a few shows on LSD. That was pretty weird. Nice. Um, yeah. I, I don't can know. imagine. You don't kids don't do drugs. <laughs> actually, I don't. I don't do drugs at all anymore. I mean, just to to actually throw that in. I'm, you know, I I um, I actually think you know we're one of those bands. Like I think we were like a really big band in the '90s, and um, there are other bands from the '90s who have you know we still have a thriving career. Don't get me wrong or anything like that. But I think we maybe could have enjoyed like you know a greater prominence for a longer period of time if I had been. You know, if I had had a clearer head. So my daughter was born when I was like 30 and I stopped. I mostly just smoked a lot of pot and stuff like mm -hmm. that. But I'm so I'm not sober. I drink um, mm -hmm. probably too much alcohol, but I had to throw that in. I, I'm trying to think, yeah. you know, it's funny. People are always like, so what are some good stories? And I'm much better at like, I should just have like a stock. Oh, here's a good story. So opening for the Rolling Stones, right? And uh, I'd run into um, uh, this guy who played guitar um, for the Black Crows. I ran into him at the Sunset Marquee um, Hotel in West Hollywood. I'm trying to remember his name. David Ford. And he was like, okay, so here's the deal. When you get out on tour with these guys... Um, you like go to the voodoo lounge, which is like their backstage area, find the snooker table. It's right in the middle of everything. And Keith Richards and Ron Wood play snooker every night. So hang out there. And if they ask you, if you want to drink, ask for a Guinness, they don't drink Guinness. They drink vodka and orange, but they, for some reason they love 
people who drink Guinness. They just think that's the greatest. So ask for a Guinness. So I'm like, okay. So we get out on the on tour and we're like, we make a, you know, like across the board, we're like, we're not going to try and get back to the Voodoo Lounge. We're not going to bug the stones. We're going to like stay out of everybody's way and just be totally cool. And whatever we get invited to, we get invited to, but we're just going to be lay like super low. We're going to go out on stage and play like fucking savages and, you know, like kill it that way. But we're not going to. So we, we get out. But the one thing is I had this like old Martin ukulele from the, from the twenties and I'm walking around, you know, and these are all in stadiums, right? So, you know, back in the part that isn't the stadium, there are these big concrete bits, you know, where with, you know, car parks and huge concrete expanses of nothing. And so I'm walking around playing like, start me up on, uh, on the ukulele and like being really silly, like making kind of making fun of start me up, you know, cause if I'm playing it on the ukulele and I'm like, Hey Keith, you know, but he's not there. I'm just like, you know, pretending like, Hey Keith, remember when you wrote this one on a ukulele? And, um, and so we get called into this little trailer that's inside of the stadium and they've got this like tour manager guy who's like totally a character out of a guy, Richie, movie you know he's big ham-fisted like gangster with huge rings and his you know teeth are going every direction and like you know he's got a huge head the size of a rugby ball and like he's like well lads give me your lammies our our laminated passes right so I'm like oh fuck they heard me fucking around on the ukulele you know like I'm in trouble (laughs) like Keith heard that I made fun of his song oh no and so like I take my pass off now this is like taking your helmet off in outer space you know what I mean like this laminated pass is like without this thing like security is going to come and like throw me out you know what I mean and, and then yeah. I'm not opening for the Rolling Stones anymore and my career is over and it's the end of the world and I don't get to see the Rolling Stones every night for free anymore. You know, it's like this big, big deal. So I hand him my pass and he pulls out this orange sticker and um, he's like, uh, puts it on my Lammy. And I'm like, Oh, God, what is that? Like, I got the orange sticker. And he's like, I got one question for you, lads. And we're like, oh, no, he's going to kill us or something. And he's like, where have you been? And I'm like, what? And he's like, you've made yourselves pretty scarce, haven't you? And we're like, yeah. He's like, we just didn't want to bother anybody. He's like, well, you know, here, this orange pat- this orange spot will get you into the voodoo lounge. And I'm like, what? And I go from, like, thinking I'm being kicked <laughs> off of tour to, like, and then next thing I know, I go in and I find the, you know, the, it's, it's direct decorated like a bordello. And I, like, uh, find the, the snooker table. Yeah. And I stand in the, you know, kind of by this lamp, kind of behind this lamp in the shadows. And, and like, the, they come out. Keith and, and Ron come out. And they're like, uh, Ron's like, super convivial. He's like, oh, uh. Spin doctors. I'm like, yeah. He's like, uh, uh, and I'm like, Chris. And he's like, mate, nice to meet you. I'm Ron Wood. And I'm like, yeah, I know. And he like puts his arm around me and he's got me by the shoulders and he's like, ah, oh, mate, you guys are doing such a good job, man. Hey, would you like a drink? And I'm like, a Guinness would be nice. And he's <gasps> like, Keith, Keith, he wants a Guinness. 
And he's like, oh, he wants again. Ah. And they stop playing snooker and they're like, mate, come on, come on. And they take me. So, like, the whole thing is, you know, I was telling you before, like, you're in this. <coughs> you're in a stadium. And then inside of the stadium, there's, like, bits that you can go into. And you, you need, like, you know, I got the orange dot. That gets me into the voodoo lounge. But then they take me into this thing that's called the tuning room. There's a sign. It's a tuning room. Security guy. I walk in with the two of them into the tuning room. This is like a sanctum within another sanctum. And in there is like $8 million worth of guitars and amplifiers. I never saw anybody tune anything in there except maybe a vodka and orange. (laughs) But they take me back there and and like the next couple nights I get to hang out back there with those guys. So I'm having this conversation with Keith. And um, sorry, this is kind of a long story. No, I love and, uh, it. Keep going. Okay. I'm um, having this conversation with Keith, and I'm asking him about Chuck Berry and, like, walking into Sun Studios and, and Muddy Waters was, like, painting the walls of Sun Studios for some extra cash because he was broke. We're just, like, I'm just asking him all these things and talking to him. And, it's so, and I must have been so comfortable because, like I said before, those guys were really funny, really nice. Like, when you talk about somebody being cool, they weren't cool, like, being cool. They were cool, like, in, like what we think of as cool was invented around the way these guys naturally are. Like, they, you know what I mean? It's not like they're being cool. They just are so cool. Anyway, just, uh, so I'm sitting there <clears throat> on the floor, so I must have been really comfortable. And I look up at him, and I'm like, you guys are having a really good time. And he says, you know, why else would you do it, man? And I say, like, I'm 27 years old, and I just want to fucking testify to this guy, you know? I'm like, I want to do this for the rest of my life. And he's standing over me, right? I'm sitting on the floor. He's standing over me. The Pope of rock and roll like holds forth his hand and he goes, you will, man. You will. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> so I got that going for me. That is absolutely amazing. <laughs> yeah, that, that is was good, so cool. That was a good moment. There must have, yeah, there must have been some pretty cool um some really special moments like that for you. And obviously like playing um like playing Glastonbury and kind of obviously you mentioned like Saturday Night Live and stuff like that. Whether you know, what were kind of like the really key highlight shows for you? Glastonbury Glastonbury for Glastonbury. sure. Like Glastonbury just cracked open the UK for us. And for me personally, it was always really important to to be an international act i i love traveling i lived in um i lived in australia when i was a little kid mm-hmm. um so i grew up on like morcom and wise and monty python's flying circus and the two ronnies and and like are you being served and and like all those like carry on movies and like so i grew up on like bbc television and doctor who like but like tom baker doctor who um, yeah so I grew up I grew up with a lot of this like British stuff and I was in Australia eating like Vegemite and Marmite and that kind of stuff like I mm-hmm. so it was really you know it was really um important to me to and I love like Europe and and um God, you know I love I just love traveling. So that was really cool. Getting to do Glastonbury was amazing. And I, and I like, I went out into the crowd because I think our, I think like our, our radio, you know, we were on the radio like crazy, but people, a lot of people didn't know what I looked like. Mm -hmm. So I just like walked out into the crowd 
and um, you know somebody eventually like recognized me and they were like have some scrumpy and I was like what the fuck is scrumpy so I like sat there like <laughs> drinking scrumpy with these guys you know before my show and uh, and then like you know it's it's amazing playing Glastonbury because it's like it's like an ocean of people like literally like looking out at an ocean but it's all people but that that was that was really cool we did we did Brixton Academy we sold out we sold out Brixton Academy three nights and that was really cool because um uh, just I, I love that place uh, and later on we played um this other place in London. Uh, the really famous one that like the Beatles played, and all of our all of our stuff got stolen out of the backstage, and we knew oh it. We kind of felt like it was like the security guys, and we were like, "Oh, this fucking sucks." Like, Let's go back to the Bricks Academy. <laughs> <laughs> that was crazy. All your stuff got nicked. Yeah, all of our stuff got nicked. Uh, our 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 um, manager's uncle was a photographer, so all of his photography, all of his cameras and stuff, his cameras and lenses got stolen, and. Um, I lost a guitar and I had, um, it's just like, you know, when this kind of stuff happens, it's always like the little stuff. I had a cassette in a little tape recorder that had a bunch of songs I was working on and that kind of stuff. Oh, man, that's so annoying. Maybe that tape will suddenly still one day appear on like eBay or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'll keep an eye out for it. You can finally get it back. Um, on another, obviously, you know, there's kind of highs and lows with anything like this, with this sort of success and that sort of, you know, such kind of stardom, I guess. Um, in 1999, you had must have what must have been one of the most terrifying things happen. Obviously, everything was going so well. You're about to do a major tour and you wake up and you've been hit with like the loss of your voice that situation because you don't know when it's going to come back. Yeah, that was really you don't bad. Know I, I had if a it's going to get better. Well, it did. I, it eventually came back. It took about a year for it to come back. What um, a lot of people don't know is it happened to me again in 2015. And it it didn't actually come back. But it's kind of a funny story. So happened to me a second time, 2015. I was like, you know, out of commission for about a year and um, very depressed. And I did what I did the first time, which is like just... Um, everything, you know, yoga and working out, getting in really good physical condition. I went to a speech pathologist. A lot of people don't know that, um, speech pathologists are not just for like, you know, lisps, lisps and stuff. They're like, actually help you with, you know, the way you produce a, a sound. And I was, I, 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 I always, I've been taking voice lessons since mm -hmm. the beginning of my career. I've had the same voice teacher the entire time. He, he's, um... An operatic. He teaches opera. Um, he doesn't teach me opera, but um, uh, so I kept getting voice lessons, and so eventually, like my voice came back, and I was singing, and I did um, I did a solo show in Spain, and went great. I did uh, um, a show in New York City with the Spin Doctors, and went great. Um, my voice. Uh, my doctor was there and he was like, amazing. Sounds, sounds fantastic. And then I went in to get my vocal cords scoped, which is not fun. They stick a camera up your nose, down oh. through your sinuses, and it looks down your throat at your vocal cords from the top. It's, I, eventually I was just kind of like an old hooker and I was like, all right, stick it in. 
my <laughs> nose again, you know, like eventually I was like, ah, but it's really not very fun. So he was like, you know, I get there and he's like, this is great. You know, we're going to look at your vocal cords. They're going to be like back and rocking again. And, um, your voice sounds great, you know, and he looked and he was like, huh. And I was like, what, what's huh? He's like, your right vocal cord, the paralyzed one is still largely immobile. And I was like, what? He's like, I don't know how the hell you're doing it, but you've learned to sing with one vocal cord. So I'm, oh I have God. one working vocal cord. <laughs> so is that still the case? Like yeah. you still, if you listen to my, um, my most recent solo record, the, the title is about that angels and one arm jugglers. I'm a one arm juggler. I sing with one vocal cord now. I mean, you can hear my voice. I That's sound normal. incredible. Yeah, totally. What I did, what I did was, um, I didn't know I was doing this, but I learned to use the muscles around the immobile vocal cord to brace it against the the mobile vocal cord. I'm basically just kind of I'm saying it with one vocal cord. Go figure. That's so cool. Yeah, my doctor was like, I've never seen anything like it. It's it's a Even medical a miracle. <laughs> He's like, you're a freak of nature. My wife was really pissed. My wife was like, you are the king of mind over matter. She's like, only you. Only you would learn to sing with one, yes, lose a vocal seriously. cord, not get the vocal cord back, and then like learn to sing with one vocal. <laughs> she, she was, she was like so amused and miffed. <laughs> how did you actually like when it happened the first time, or even the second time? Like, how did you actually cope with that sort of the worry or like you know the 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 stress and the fear that it wasn't going to come back? The first time I was younger and kind of more resilient, but I, I got in a car and I just drove across the country. Um. And I just I, w- I just went driving and kind of was like drove for a couple months. Um, the second time was worse, I think, because because it was happening again. You know, I was like, mm-hmm. it felt like a punishment. Like it was like I did this already. I got through this already. Why is this happening to me again? Yeah. And I and I felt sort of betrayed by music. So I, I didn't do much music that year. I I um I, I have this tendency to just really nerd out on stuff and and um my friends call it going all chris barron like he's oh you know him he he went all chris barron and he just like you know so i got into chess and i I just played a lot of chess i started taking chess lessons from this really interesting guy you know who's like the best chess player in washington square park i don't know if you know there's like this part of washington square yeah. park in new york where they this guy is like a chess you can just sit down and play chess with each other yeah 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 most I of those guys always wanted to go there yeah it's really cool are you a chess player i used to play chess i used to like play in competitions and stuff when i was a kid oh, cool. um but then i think just hit that age where you end up kind of going out and drinking instead and <laughs> yeah. not continuing with the chess and then obviously when like uh is it the queen's gambit came out and everyone's like i want to start playing chess again i'm like damn i should have continued my my skills I mean, and my, always, my competitive I, streak i, mean, I, I know played... i think i think it's all i think it's definitely still there like and i'm a very competitive person so i think you know it's so fun it could be like a comeback moment i just got really back into it and i i, I was taking lessons with this guy raheem who you know, is a shark down in the, but he, you know, he, he gives lessons and, and it was great. He would like yell at me and like, it really got my mind off of stuff. And he'd be like, what are you thinking, man? And so I'm, I'm really good with kids. I, I'm, you know, my, and my daughter had just gone to college. So I had a bit of like empty nest 
blues. And he did like a clinic. He's really great with kids too. Just really funny. And so he invited me down to this clinic that he had on Saturdays at this chess cafe in New York. And, um, I would play these like six, seven, 10 year old kids who could clean my goddamn clock at chess. Some of them I could beat, some of them I couldn't. And, um, but I was really good at like knowing when to kind of throw the game and knowing when to, to like, you know, beat a kid or, you know, and I'm just like, they, they, they took one look at me and they started calling me Santa. And I was like, Santa, the early years, <laughs> I mean, they were like kids. So they just picked up on it. They're like, they're like, okay, Santa, the early years. And like, we'd all play our matches. And then like, you know, if I was, if it was just me and another kid playing, they'd all gang up on me. Cause these kids talked more trash. I didn't even know trash talking was part of chess you know and these kids just talk, they'd be like you're ugly you're stupid what are you doing and like, you know 12 kids all around me like with their mouths like you know like a foot away from my ear and then like they'd be like put your queen here put your queen here put your queen here like in a spot that it would get taken and um so they would always gang up on me. But then in the spring, we went out into the park and we would play outside. And then you'd end up playing against people. Like I end up playing against people who weren't the kids. So then if I was playing somebody that wasn't in the group, all of a sudden, mm. like Santa, the early years, like I was their guy. So then they yeah, all be standing behind me, trash talking the guy that I was playing. And that was, that was freaking amazing. It was so funny. <laughs> These kids would just be like yelling at the poor dude that I was playing. And, and like, I'd picked up a bunch of trash talk from them. So I would sing everything, but I, you know, my voice was like this. So I was like, I'm moving my pawn in your junk. Here comes my queen. Here comes my queen. Here comes my queen. Here comes my knight. You know, like just singing everything, every move that I was making. And um, and this one dude was like, "You are the worst singer in the world," and I, I died because nobody on that scene knew I was the guy from the so Spin Doctors. So funny! That was so the guy funny. Was like, You're the worst singer in the world, and I was like, "If only you knew." <laughs> if only you knew. Maybe the he actually. Yeah, exactly. You never know. He might have ended up seeing you play somewhere later on, and then being like. Hang on, that's Santa the early years. <laughs> Who yeah, I played I, in games. Oh shit! It's Santa. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. I think yeah, it must have really helped to have something to kind of keep you focused. I had to like give on, music to keep a focus break. on something else. And then afterwards, I came back. I came back, and I'm I'm more into music than ever, if that's possible. Maybe because you felt you could have lost it, and then you kind of didn't. Yeah. Got it back. Yeah. I mean, there's that, and and like, I just think I don't want to. You know, I don't want to be corny or anything like that but I think you get to a point you know I'm like 52 and I've been playing music since I was nine and I've been playing songs that I wrote for money since I was 15 and um, I think you either get to a point where you're just mailing it in and you don't care anymore or you are chasing like mastery and you're never going to get it. Mm -hmm. You know, you're never going to get it. But like I grew up on like martial arts movies and stuff like that. And I, I, I used to love it when the, the guy would be like, Oh, you want to learn this technique? You have to stand here in front of this bell. 
with your fist an inch away from it, and when you could punch the bell and make it ring, then I'll teach you the next thing, you know? And I'm like, I love that stuff. So I like, I have no problem. Like I wake up a couple times in the middle of the night and I go out into the living room, the house is asleep and I'll play guitar and I'll play the same three notes. You know, I like sit there like punching the bell, you know? And I uh, just like, I've hit a point where this is, it's, music that's what was what was so hard about losing my voice is you know you singing and music it, 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 it it's everybody i think gets involved in their occupation to the point where it becomes part of their identity particularly like i think in the uk and the united states like you know you're like what's your name blah blah what do you do it's like the second question is like your your occupation you know and, and, which is funny, like, I, you know, I spent a lot of time in, um, in Spain and I've got, you know, acquaintances there that I've known for a long time and I don't know what they do. You know, I don't know what their job is. Like, we don't ever talk about that kind of stuff. We talk about wine and food and, you know, music and I don't know what they do for a living, you know, um, which is kind of, kind of cool. But, you know, being, being an uptight American, you know, like my, my profession is, pretty close to the core of my, you know, whole kind of being. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I losing, coming close to losing it definitely made me appreciate it more, but I think I already was like, I think more, more than that, it kind of forced me to take a little break and get a little bit of perspective about it. Yeah. And kind of when I came back to it, I was like a little bit more organized in my thinking about how I wanted to proceed if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, 100%. How do you think, because obviously you guys have never really, you've had quiet spells, but you've never kind of officially broken up and obviously you're still touring. Like, well, not like our tour, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, what is it, do you think, that's kind of kept you guys going and like still together and not kind of like all, you know, burning out or like a big argument or like, you know, there's, there's something really different yeah. about you guys, I think. But you know that, what, yeah, it's actually, yeah. I, think, I think that's, it's something I've I've gained a lot of perspective over in the last couple of years. In fact, it is like to go back to my friends, the Blues Traveler. Those guys went to to high school together and they formed a band. And and most bands are like formed in like university or school and and like people are in a band because they're friends. But the Spin mm. Doctors, like we we are a band because. Um, we each thought the other three guys were the best three guys around. Like, they thought I was the best singer. I thought they were the best guitar player, drummer, and bass player around. And I was warned in the beginning, like, wow, you know, you guys don't have that, like, kind of family friendship kind of thing. So watch out for that. But in the long run, I think it's service. Because now, like, you know, they know my daughter. I know their kids. I can launch into... My daughter's 22 now, you know, I could launch into a thing about one of the guys and I don't have to do any backstory. Like she has all of the insight about their character for me to go right off the bat and like talk about them as if, yeah, you know what I mean? Totally. So like we're, we're, we're close now and we're really good friends, but we're friends because we're in a band and we're friends because we've spent, um, tons of years working together and what was cool about that was the attitude was always like, oh, 
you're mad at me? Fuck you, get on stage and do the fucking gig, you know? And we'll talk about that bullshit later on, you know? So as time has gone on, we've learned to work through the personal stuff because there, there's bound to be personal stuff. And But the foundation was always based on being a band. We're not the most professional guys as a group. Like, everybody in the band... Um, does gigs outside of this and everybody's capable of behaving in a very professional manner and knows how to be. But with each other, we're kind of like, fuck you. Ah, blah, you know, and like, there's a certain amount of like informality to the professionalism that we have. But yeah. I think it's, I think it's, you know, counterintuitively, it helped that we didn't start out as friends. It helped that we started out just as professional, a professional unit trying to, trying to work really hard and, and, um, and be successful but when I say successful, our goal from the beginning, I think this is another thing that helped us a lot. Our goal from the beginning was not to be like a huge band. Our goal was to make a living, a comfortable living playing music. So like we were never like, of course we all wanted to get our songs on the radio. and But we wanted to do all those things. We wanted to hit all those markers um, in aid of... of creating a stable income for ourselves being able to like be be play music for a living with some stability it wasn't it wasn't like we didn't do it to become famous or to attain some kind of stardom or anything like that we just everybody's very dedicated musician yeah and we, we wanted to play music in an elite setting with elite level musicians me excluded yeah. A hundred percent. I think, yeah, I think that, I think that totally makes sense because there's less, also you kind of don't hold a grudge on uh, to someone as much if it's like you formed a band and then you argue, if you're friends with someone and you argue in the band as friends, then it can cause a way bigger rift, I would think. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, our friendship enters the picture more. You become friends because you have mutual respect for each other as musicians yeah. and then that's the kind of, the thing that you have in common yeah. and that yeah. builds a better friendship in the long run I think I agree it's you know our our friendship usually enters the picture um more there's the all the camaraderie of being in a band and that is that has become part of the friendship but generally like when the friendship becomes like the focus it's usually that something's going on in the other guy's personal life and you and yeah. you're entering in a in a role of like sympathy and 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 like trying to help out as opposed yeah. to like, I can't believe you, you know, I can't believe you were late getting down to the van this morning. That's like a slight on me. You know, it's like none of that bullshit. Yeah. It's just like, you know, everybody's like, if somebody, everybody's punctual and, you know, that kind of shit. And, and, and it's all sort of stupid, you know, like we, we say goodbye to each other and I'm like, bye guys. I love you. It's all like we sort of make fun of all the personal aspects of it until until you know somebody's having a hard time with something in their life and yeah. you know then you're like so you know like somebody's getting divorced or something like that then it's all hands on deck to help out. Yeah, of course. What are your plans for the future either as the Spin Doctors or for Chris Barron? Um Spin Doctors are, you know, we were we were gearing up to um, start writing for a new record um, when all this 
shit went down. And um, so that's that's in the books. And I'm going to make a solo record um, uh, in May, uh, hopefully, you know, um, quarantine permitting and stuff like that. But I'm, I'm making a record with my friend Blake Morgan, who's a, who's a, a fantastic uh, musician and producer and engineer. He's got a studio in the city. Um, so we might sort of just like bubble up for that also and just you awesome. know, get tested. But um, yeah, I'm making a solo record. I got I always have tons and tons of material lying around because I'm a pretty prolific writer. So I've got dozens and dozens of of songs that I'm, you know, thinking about. And then, um, as you said before, um, most Thursdays I do like a Thursday uh, concert. It's called the Chris Barron Thirsty Thursday Happy Hour. And it's on a platform called Stage It. A lot of people in the UK actually tune in. Um, that's amazing. That's a lot of fun. It's a, um, it's a concert that's like designed to be tuned into every week. You don't have to, but like I play different material every week. Um, and I'll do yeah. like kind of a block of shows and I don't repeat material for quite a long time. I got a lot of, a lot of tunes that I, that's really cool though, actually. And very rare. I would have thought to not be repeating material. I've got a pretty big repertoire of, I've been writing songs since I was 15. So I got, a lot of tunes that I can go to. I, I, um, it's been fun for your, um, listeners who don't know what my solo thing is about. I think if you, if you sort of take the more like lyrical poetic aspects of the spin doctors, um, and, um, and pair it with like some like, you know, cool, like finger picking, and, um, it's my singing is kind of different with my solo stuff. I think it's, it's, you know, I'm not like, yeah. I'm not belting the way I am with the spin doctors. I'm sort of singing in a more singer songwriter kind of way, but yeah, it's sort of a showcase really of nice. guitar playing and, um, and like finger picking and, um, and songwriting, you know, it's, it's, the songs are a little denser and, um, uh, but it's still, it's still pretty funky. You know, it's not like it's, it's not like, oh, I'm going to do my solo thing. Now I'm going to play a bunch of dirges. You know, it's, it's, I think it's pretty entertaining. And I talk, I tell some stories. I, as you can see, I'm a bit of a, I'm a bit, I'm a bit talkative. Definitely a storyteller. <laughs> I love it. Amazing. I will be tuning in for that. Um, I also just want to give a quick mention before we finish to Richard Ilderton, who put us in touch. Uh, Richard was my first guest when I started the podcast. So it's really special that he then put me in touch with you. How did you guys actually become friends? He mentioned as well that you are a fan of the unit and that you've been to the coast and played at like Surf Cafe and stuff. Yeah, I did. Um, I can't remember if I've played Surf Cafe twice or... I think we played twice. I think I met him the first time. And the second time we just went, I went to, um, you know, where they take care of the seals. I just think that's the coolest that they're, that they're like going out and, and helping out these seals. I'm a big animal fan. Um, some of your listeners may know me from uh, Twitter. I do this, this is like hashtag catter day that catter I, day. That I stumbled <laughs> yeah. across. So I tweet out like a couple hundred pictures of cats like every Saturday. It's kind of, I joke, it's like my other job is like tweeting <laughs> cats. So I'm, a, I'm like sort of I, an accidental noted cat person, animal person. So yeah, I met Richard through, through the surf cafe 
gigs. Can't wait to come back and play there again. That was so fun. Yeah, playing there. That'd be so cool. And uh, yeah, I, I um I met him through that, and and then we've stayed in touch mostly through um, Twitter and 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 WhatsApp. He sends me like videos of of these That's seals. so nice. And they're like, you know, they're like the seals are great. They're like, you know, they're like I don't know. The equivalent of like street seals, like they're not like seals, like you see. Yeah, oh, I know, in the, totally. In the, in the like you know aquarium where they're like, oh, give me, give us a fish. I'll balance a ball on my nose. These are like tough guys. They got scars on their faces, yeah. and they're like, they're kind of nasty, but they're still like so cute. Yeah, they're really cool. That's how. Yeah, so I'm a marine mammal medic as well, which is how no I met way. Richard. Yeah, that's yeah, so that's cool. how we know each other. Yeah, so. Um, yeah, there's, I've done some pretty cool rescues um, and always been very lucky that they've always uh, been happy endings with the rescues that I've done. So, yeah, I think all the work they do is amazing. Yeah. Um, but you're totally right. They're proper, like, rough, kind of, like, rogue, you know, like, heavyweight yeah. type rather than this kind of, like, sweet seal impression that people get. But they're, they're just awesome. Yeah, they're, they are, are they sea cute. lions or are they seals? Just seals. There's seals? gray seals and common seals that we get here, yeah. They have sort of a flatter... They have almost like a like a dog mouth, kind of. Like it's, yeah, yeah. They're not that, like, you know, you, you, you think of, of them as having this, like, kind of pointy, triangular, you know, s- snout. But this is more of a, yeah. like, snouty no, snout. No, it's more like... Yeah. Kind of bruiser, it's a like, maw. rugby player, sort of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dude, they look like they look like old rugby players. It's amazing. It's <laughs> so, well, oh, you know, I, I on behalf of you know anybody who cares about this stuff, thank thank you guys for doing that. That's such a cool, lovely, beautiful thing. When Richard told me you did that, I was like, you got to be out of your, you got to be fucking kidding me. That is the <laughs> the absolute coolest. So on behalf of the seals, yeah, I thank you. Yeah, it's absolutely awesome. God bless you. Well, thank you so much oh, for no, talking with me. It's been such a pleasure. I've loved your stories. <laughs> I want to go to like I want to like go back in time and go to like the the voodoo room and just like um, just be like playing snooker and stuff and just like hanging out. Like <laughs> I want it. Oh man, oh, it's yeah. so good. I've been really lucky. Absolutely love it. I've been really lucky. It's incredible. To, um, I got to meet a lot of my heroes and I and I. Um, you know, I wake up in the morning and I make really strong coffee and I play guitar unless I'm going off to a gig somewhere. So, I, you know, I don't worry about me. I'm doing love fine. <laughs> Absolutely love it. Thank you so My much. Pleasure. Thank you. Take care now. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to help other people find us and spread the word to your friends. See you next time.